The Midwest Film Nerds Podcast is now available on Stitcher Radio. Download the free Stitcher Radio app from the Android and iTunes app stores to start streaming our show today. Welcome to the Midwest Film Nerds Podcast. I am Alex. I'm Willie. And I'm Nick. Today we are going to talk about some film news, and then after that we're going to do a review of David O. Russell's American Hustle. But before we get to that, uh, our good friend Tim Long, friend of the show, uh, frequent host of the Midwest Film Nerds Podcast, has written the top ten movies of 2013 for recluses. So this is top ten movies for people that don't want to leave the house. Please go check it out on MidwestFilmNerds.com. We also have a link to it on our Facebook it's very, very good. Very, very funny. Did he put that picture there? Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, it's the whole article is pure Tim and it totally comes through and it's really, really, really awesome. So absolutely, everybody should go check it out. It's an interest. It's a unique take on the list. So if you don't want to check out Armand White's better than list, then come check out Tim Long's uh, top 10 movies for recluses. Um, Tim should do a better than Armand White's better than list. <laughs> That'd be beautiful. That'd be very, very good. Get on it, Tim. <laughs> He just argues the reverse for the Yeah, he's like, no, you're wrong. (laughs) If anybody could give Armand White a run for his money, I think it's Tim Long. Mm -hmm. Uh, Other than that, we are now on Stitcher Radio, as you heard at the top of this uh, podcast. So go check that out. Download the Stitcher Radio app. You can stream us instead of downloading us every week. Uh, Feedback to feedback at MidwestFilmNerds.com. Go and review and rate us on iTunes or on Stitcher. And uh, all that good stuff at MFN Podcast if you want to talk to us on Twitter. Um, so, I think we'll move right into our film news. Uh, we got word today that, uh, let's go with the non-definite thing first. We're gonna, we're gonna be doing a little bit of rumor mongering just to have something to talk about here, but there's, uh, word in the ether is that Michael Arndt and J.J. Abrams disagreed on where to take the story of Star Wars Episode Seven. Uh, Michael Arndt very much wanted to focus on the children of the well-known characters of the original uh, the original trilogy, mm-hmm. whereas J.J. Abrams wanted uh, Episode Seven to focus more on those original characters, while Eight and Nine would supposedly have to deal with the kids more. So we know all we know for sure is that Michael Arndt is off the project. Uh, they're they're hitting crunch time. I think they're still working on the script, and this movie's supposed to be out next December. Not this December, but next <clears> December. <throat> wow. Is it really? Yeah. Wow. So, uh... After one delay already, because yeah. it's supposed to be, what, May of next well, year? Well, they never gave it a definitive date, but people were assuming May because every Star Wars movie has come out in May. Right. And I, I for one, I never thought that would be true, because I figured they would, they would want to stagger their releases and leave... Avengers alone, but so what do you guys think about this? What which way would you have preferred? Uh, why why do you prefer it that way? Like what what weird Star Wars fans here? So I think we have some sort of opinion on this. Um, I don't know. I think that <clears throat> I think it has to have both. Certainly, like a mixture of the two, because you can't keep watching the same people who are much older now and not in the best of shape and, and quite frankly just can't be action stars anymore. Like you can't just watch them for the next three movies and like it just it'll it'll make me feel sad like to see them trying to do 
the stuff they could do back in the day, you know? Yeah, and it, clearly there needed to be, like, a transition of some sort. Whether it was yeah. going to be, like, a five-minute, oh, hey, mom, and it was Leia or something like that, and then you're off and it's the kids doing their thing. Like, right. there's some sort of handshake that was going to occur because that's just, if you're going to make a Star Wars movie and these people are still alive, mm-hmm. then you're probably going to have them in it. Well, I mean, I think the whole... <laughs> What would really be the point of Star Wars Episode Seven if it was just completely different characters? Like, the, like if they just removed completely, like Leia and Han and, and Luke, they were always yeah. going to be there because, like, that's what people want. I mean, yeah. that's what people think they want at least right now. <laughs> we'll see. Um, no, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, the reasonings for Michael aren't leaving are certainly a rumor at this point. But if it's yeah. true, if it's true, and 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 that is the case, then. I can't argue with it. I mean, I think it's I think it's a smart move on behalf of JJ and everybody behind. I mean, I don't know if it's the right move, but it's a smart move because they're going to be able to showcase those three characters a lot easier if they're not just they're not going to have the deal of disappointment of fans that are going to be like like they're going to be in all the marketing and stuff, and then they're going to get there and they're there for like fifteen total minutes of screen time. You know, um, I don't know. I think it's a smart move, but I. We'll see. I don't know. I'm so nervous about this, this Star Wars thing. Like, I, I mean, I guess I'm not that nervous because I don't really care. Like, it could be really, really bad, and I'm like, whatever. Yeah. But, um, I honestly, like, like at this point, is anybody really going to be that upset if this movie sucks? Like... I, for one, I don't really... I mean, I, I, I like Star Wars. I this anymore. I like Star Wars, but if the, if the prequel movies weren't going to, like, ruin the original Star Wars trilogy, these certainly aren't going to do it either, I don't yeah. think. Um, I don't know. Uh, what do you think, Nick? Um, I, I, I kind of had Mike Lawrence back from the beginning and I still do. Dude wrote Toy Story 3. Right. And Toy Story 3 not only was a great threequel, which is like pretty tricky to do, I think, to yeah. read, not only to continue the momentum established by previous entries, but to further it and, and theme- to and, further develop the And characters. thematically close off as and well. And not only, yeah, arc overarch the whole trilogy but have a nice self-contained story in there it was a really i think overlooked movie in terms of that did he write the first two or no no okay i didn't think so uh he but he did such a great job i mean toy story 3 was one of the movies in the theater where i was just like oh my god like whoa like i was totally and completely along for the ride in that movie the whole you and armand white yeah (laughs) that's one thing we have in common (laughs) uh I'm just kidding. Armand White was the only person that reviewed that movie poorly. Did you hate Toy Story 3? Yeah, he's no. the person that took away the 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, he had just to. because. He had to. Be a anyway, this is, not, this is not the Armand White episode. <laughs> we could talk We're about that for news. into him and giving him what he wants. Yeah. Uh, but I, I'm pretty sure they... It, I thought it was an officially confirmed that it was because they didn't agree on where the story was going. Like, that, I didn't think that, that was okay, rumor. we know that for sure. We know that they okay. that there was some sort of creative difference. We don't know what it entails for sure. This would well, fit the other that, interesting certainly. thing that, that we heard was that Lucas had Michael Arndt's back. He was like, I like where he's going with it. And I think maybe even Kathleen Kennedy did. Hmm. I don't remember. There's, there's something about it out there, but um, we'll just treat that as rumor for now. But I, I'm bummed out because I know... The reason I liked J.J.'s first entry into Star Trek was because he approached it from a non-fan perspective. He's like, I don't really love Star Trek. I'm just going to make a really cool, entertaining movie. Mm-hmm. And I really loved the first Star Trek, even though I'm not a diehard Star Trek fan. I can see why diehards didn't like it, um, because he made it less like a Star Wars movie, basically. Mm-hmm. But he has... He has pretty clear made it clear that he is a star wars nut like he loves star wars yeah. loves star wars and 
if you put a, a fanboy in the in the director's chair, that's kind of scary to me. And a, not only in the director's chair, but the person who apparently can fire the screenwriter and remold it into his own monster is kind of scary. Like that's it needs to be a system of checks and balances, I think, to make a really great movie. Well, I think that's the, that's the pitfall that the prequels fell into is that exactly. Lucas had absolute and Lucas's total collaborators were. Uh, were missing. Yeah. And they were the people that, that not only kind of righted the, the ship if it got a little bit off course, but they kind of rounded off the, the sharp edges of sure. everything he was making. And so the fact that Abrams is such a proven uh, blockbuster you know, success is kind of scary because I think they're putting a lot of faith in him to just make the movie he wants to make, thinking it'll make it'll just make gold. Because it's J.J. Abrams. Right. Yeah. And I, I think it's kind of a disservice to the franchise. If you want to make a really great Star Wars movie, it obviously needs the input of other guys that also really love it. And that's the sad thing, too, I think, is is that there's been so much Star Wars material that's come out even before the prequel, in between the prequels and the original series, and after the prequels. And there's so much, there's so many, like, creators involved with Star Wars that it's sad that, I don't know, like, you would think that a lot of these guys would want to be involved. Like, I think it would be a more collaborative process than, than what it seems to be from well, the outside. Well, and we should say that Kasdan is still writing with Abrams. No, and that's good, for sure. Yeah. So hopefully there will be some sort of checks and balances still in place, but... It's a different if it's a different beast than it used to be, though, making these kind of movies. Like, if, if, they, if Kathleen Kennedy says J.J.'s got the keys and that's that, like, the best Kirshner can do, or Kasdan... Uh, can do is kind of put in his input, but I don't think he's going to be able to really say no or he'll get fired, especially now. It's almost like he sent a message, like, I just fired Michael Lawrence. I asked, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. I, I just, I don't like the, the if the if it comes to pass that the movie, the sev- episode seven is focusing on old ass Star Wars guys. <laughs> that, to me, just feels like fanboy grew up and is able to play with his action figures, but they're the real people now. On the greatest scale them, possible. He can make them do what he wants and just make his own whole movie of it. And I hope I'm just being really, really, really pessimistic about it, but I I don't know what purpose making a whole episode based on the old guys serves. I mean, Harrison Ford, I just looked at it while we were interested in the subject. He's 71 years old as of the recording of this episode. He's going to be 72 this summer. He's an old man. I love Harrison Ford. I love Harrison Absolutely. Ford. Absolutely. But I... I don't know, man. What the hell is he going to do? Okay, well, I have I have a minute here. Let me just say, I didn't expect... To, when we started this conversation, I didn't expect to be the one defending what happened. Or defending <laughs> That's J.D.'s okay. That's okay. Personally, I would prefer that it focused on the kids as well. But I think um, what I've kind of just thought of is that if this movie serves as a way for people to get used to who might be put into place as the kids of these characters... I'm kind of okay with it because I think there are a billion people who might take a look at say uh Todd or Landry, Todd from Breaking Bad, whatever his name is, if he gets cast in this and just be like Jesse Plemons. Yeah, Jesse Plemons. If I I think there are people that would look at Jesse Plemons and be like why oh. Yeah. I think Jesse Plemons is amazing and if this movie focuses on these other characters but allows people to see why Jesse Plemons is awesome in this role, if that's the function that this serves I think it's cool. Yeah. Maybe I might very, wish... You could very well be right. Maybe I may, maybe, it, maybe it still would have even been better if it was completely about the kids still. But... Yeah, yeah. I think uh, if, if, if this is the trade-off that occurs to allow them to be like, okay, this will make financial sense and this gives us this, 
And this will be our, our launching off point for this these is the passing of the torch movie. Yeah, yeah, if that's what this is, then okay, I'll do it. As long I, as it's not like a, like so by the numbers passing of the torch that it's like like but, hit every hit every note you could possibly imagine. Here's would, here's, here's Han Solo handing his his gun to his son and some stupid. Yeah. I would hope to God that there's no way that they would let these this older cast try and carry this movie unless they felt that they absolutely could do it. Have it, has it even been confirmed yet that the three of them no. are back? No. Okay. So <laughs> no. Here, yeah, no there are no cast members confirmed for this movie at all. Oh. All we have is rumors with Michael Fassbender and Chiwetelle Ejiofor and Every actor. Those are all people I'd rather see in this movie than Harrison totally. Ford, Carrie Fisher, and Mark Hamill. Totally. The only one I want to see is Mark Hamill. Like, I want to see bearded Luke living like a hermit. That's cool. Yeah, Mark Hamill basically being Kevin Flynn from from Tron Legacy would be the best thing <laughs> ever. Being Obi Wan, dropping really? from the ceiling and just like like you're just stunned by how amazing he is at what he does. Like, if he, I don't know. In one way, it's cool if you hold them back a little bit, the original cast too, because when they do do something, when they when they do something of like major import, you know, like something very cool or whatever, you're like, yeah, all right, you know, I don't know, it makes you feel good inside because I don't know. Less is more, I yeah. think, with those three. Yeah. And, and, I, and the other thing is, like, you don't... It's Star Wars. You don't need Mark Hamill and Harrison Ford top build to make a billion dollars. All you need is a lightsaber. It is Star Wars. <laughs> Everyone is going to see this movie. Yeah. Yeah. You, it, it, they're ridiculous if they're like, oh, we, guys, we need we need them. When was the last box office smash any of them had? Like, it's... They're not draws anymore. I don't know. Fair, Fair enough. enough. All right. Enough. We can move on from that one. What lies beneath two? <laughs> so... <laughs> So our other uh, bomb, well, the bombshell for today was that uh, Michael Douglas has been confirmed as Hank Pym in Marvel's Ant-Man. Oh, he old. <laughs> Speaking of old he's, guys. He's he specifically confirmed as Hank Pym, whereas uh, all we ever heard about Paul Rudd was that he was cast. I think, mm-hmm. I think we heard that maybe he was cast as Ant-Man. Yep. Yes, he is playing Ant-Man. So I think the the large assumption here is that Paul Rudd is Scott Lang. It's and, pretty safe. And because that has been talked about before by Edgar Wright. And, uh, He's teased the storyline. The, the, the to storyline, Yeah. Or which, to steal an Ant-Man. To yeah. steal an Ant-Man. He's, which, he's teased that a billion times. Yeah, so. and that involves uh, Scott Lang stealing Ant-Man technology from Hank Pym. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what do you guys think about it? Nick, you didn't get to speak to the original Paul Rudd, so say say a quick bit on that and then... Uh, this is pretty much what I would have said back then and, and kind of what you and I were talking about. Paul Rudd is a good casting choice for Scott Lang. He's not a good Hank Pym. So this is good. <laughs> in well, that case. kind of. In that case. <laughs> when you and I were talking about it, I was like, I'm pretty sure it's going to be Scott Lang. And you were like, I think it's Pym. And he just, there's nothing about Paul Rudd that is Hank Pym. And so when I heard that he was, that it was him, I was kind of like, because he very much is like Scott Lang. Like even kind of, he looks more like him. Like it's just, it makes a lot more sense now. I get it. Yeah, and I should say that my opinion on that matter was unfounded completely because I have no attachment to Ant Man. Well, I, I like yeah, and I like Paul Rudd. I'm kind of I'm I'm open to this being what makes me really love Paul Rudd again because I'm suffering from some pretty intense Paul Rudd fatigue. There's a few years there where he was just everywhere, and I, I like him. I think he's a really talented guy. And mm-hmm. I, uh, when I watched him in uh, Paul Rudd's computer. Well, of course, every day before bed. Um, 
No, I watched a movie recently that he was in. I don't remember what. Something older, I think, that I was just catching up on. And I was like, yeah, Paul Rudd is really funny. Halloween 6. Yeah. <laughs> Gen, All right. Gen y, where was my Gen Y Cops Gen Y Cops 2? What the hell? <laughs> I'm saving that one, man. All right. Anyway, um, so on to Michael Douglas. What about Michael Douglas? Michael Douglas in his day would have been a killer Hank Pym. Oh, perfect. <laughs> like Black <laughs> Rain, Michael Douglas? <laughs> Even Romancing, Romancing the, the Stone. stone. Yeah. yeah. Um, Black Rain. And he's not a... It's... It's just a drag. It's just a bummer. Like like you said, Willie, I love it and hate it at the same time. It's a cool idea if we get like a really hilarious like if the first fifteen minutes of the movie is like de aged Michael Douglas in the sixties, like running around in an Ant Man costume with like Howard Stark and it'll probably be really fun. But it's a bummer because it totally reinforces everything I feel about the way the Marvel universe is going, that they're they're just not taking it seriously anymore. They want to make live action cartoons. And they just want to make movies that are fun. And that's fine, but it just kind of bums me out. And I guess it's why I really liked Man of Steel a lot more than any of the Marvel offerings recently. is because they, they took it a little more seriously. They took it a little darker. They took it... They got into it a little bit more. And with Marvel, it's more like they just want to have fun with it. Which is fine. Everybody seems to like that. And I, I enjoy it too. But with Ant-Man, there was real... There was a really in, amazing chance to get really into an intense character. And have a really cool, deep, flawed superhero, which is totally possible with Hank Pym. The guy's nothing but flaws, and it's it would be a really neat movie and a really cool character arc and something very different because his reasons and his motivations are so different from everybody else. Scott Lang is much more my daughter. He's Sandman. My daughter's sick. I don't have money for it. I got to steal this technology so I can rob banks. Cool. I'm sure it'll be really fun. Good job, Edgar Wright. Like that's it'll probably be really fun, but it's not. I want I want something a little a little more intense now. I think superheroes are an amazing platform to get to exaggerate normal human stories in a way that that are really cool and and uh, <clears throat> make you relate to them a little bit more. And I think this is just going to be more of a cartoon. What if um, what if Kirk Douglas is modern day Hank Pym? <laughs> and Michael Douglas is He's past. <laughs> He's 97. Um, yeah. wh- All right, Willie, how do you feel about the... I, no, I just... I mean, I, I think Nick's, Nick's... I have to agree with Nick on this for the most part. I mean, I think I think there's missed opportunities here. And I think I think the missed opportunities were, were already beginning with Age of Ultron and not not including yeah. Hank Pym in any way, shape, or form with that. That's kind of where it started. Where I started to think, okay, maybe they're not going... Maybe Hank Pym is not somebody that's going to be... Not that he's not going to be important to... We don't know how how important he's going to be, but he just didn't, I don't know. I feel like he's going to be kind of a uh, kind of like a little bit of a footnote in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and that's going to be about it. That's you know? a serious bummer too, and it's a bummer it, the potential there. But that being said, uh, who knows? We could get a shrunken Michael Douglas fired from an arrow tip. So I'm okay with that. <laughs> I'm all right with with elderly Michael Douglas riding Michael, an arrow. Michael Douglas v James Spader. Oh my God! Yeah. No, I mean, like, seriously. No, I don't know. I, in all seriousness, I, I think that the there could be some very cool, kind of almost, I mean, Batman Beyondish relationship. Gonna, just gonna say that between Michael Douglas and Paul Rudd, that could be a lot of fun. Like, I think it could be really cool to see Michael Douglas, like, season this guy a chance to do something more with the technology he invented, and like wants to give Scott Lang a new lease on. On life, you know what I mean, and, and in doing so, maybe giving himself a bit of like I don't, you know, I don't know what this Hank Pym's been through, but I would hope he's a little bit, 
you know, road weary and, you know. There's nothing to say that we don't get flashbacks of a younger Hank Pym. Oh, we probably will. We probably will, yeah. And I, I hope it's D.H. Michael Douglas, because it'd be cool to see him. The sweet. only way that I would think this is the shit suddenly is if they were to announce that uh, Michael Douglas is also in Age of Ultron, and Hank Pym did create Ultron, and Ant-Man is sort of his way of... Making up for... In a way, but I... The chance of that happening is basically... Pretty I should, slim. It was a waste of me even using the oxygen to say it. So. Well, yeah, you never know. The other bummer, too, is that uh, this pretty much confirms, I think, that Wasp is never going to be... Which is very character. strange, because Whedon had said right away, like, that was the one character that he was super psyched to do eventually. Which is very... Like, I don't know. I, I With how much Marvel is very obviously very interested in keeping him around and in charge of a lot of what's going on, which is understandable with the success of the first Avengers film. It just seems strange to me that they would be like, nah, screw the Wasp. I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. I feel like she might still... She could still pop up. There's, there's nothing saying that the Wasp and Scott Lang don't hook up in the There's there's the a chance there's universe. a chance that Hank Pym there that Hank Pym, or it's going to be Scott Lang and and, and Janet. Or there's a chance there's that There's a chance that Scott Lang is really Hank Pym from the comics but he's just named Scott Lang here. Like there there's a chance that But the, what's I, I mean, the, what is the point then? That's weird, yeah, but it could happen. There's literally know. no point that I could ever fathom. I, or maybe maybe they're going to do like Janet is Hank Pym's daughter or something weird where I don't who the hell knows? It could be anything. She might just not exist. <laughs> I don't know. Might get a sad, sad photo of Michael Douglas and and Catherine Zeta Jones as Wasp. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Oh, well. <sighs> it's just a. It's kind of a bummer because they're really, really starting to make a hard left turn away from the comics now, and they're very much starting to be like, okay, we're successful now. We can do whatever we want with our movies, and it's kind of a bummer. That makes me especially yeah. now that. The, I think the president of Marvel said in an interview recently, he's like, the comics are now echoing the movies. Like, that's an official thing. Oh, it's yeah. Like, we're no longer making the comics uh, influence the movies. It's the other way around. I'm like, man. It's it's nerve-wracking. And I think I think that the... I, I'm glad they're willing to take risks. And I'm gl- and as a studio, they've always been willing to take small risks. You know, sure. change certain things to fit, to fit what they needed out of the movie. But... They've always been for the better of the movie and the universe as a whole, and they've always been usually in the interest of letting that particular director put his stamp on it. And I think they're still doing that, which is great, but I'm concerned that there are going to be there are some changes that are being made, and I'm not sure I understand in the grand scheme of things why, you know. I understand the whole Hank Pym thing not being the creator of Ultron, but I get you know, it. I understand why they're doing it, but I just I'm not sure if <laughs> if it, if it I feel like it's almost an easy way out. No, I mean, it doesn't mean it's the right decision, but it's also, you know, we still haven't seen the finished products. True. So we don't know. But I am am a little... We still haven't seen a damn trailer for half the movies we talk about in the Marvel Universe. I guess guess it's a mixture of the fact that we're getting so much content from Marvel directly now, like coming into the next couple years here, and then also the fact that we're, we're seeing some very weird... Thus far I've been okay with, but deviations from source material... That have made a lot of people mad. So I'm just I'm nervous about that mixture of things. Like, are we just I don't know. I we'll mean, see. I yeah, I, I kind of told you I didn't really get a chance to talk about it while we were still in time. But um, starring Justin Timberlake, uh, <laughs> I Alex prefer. <laughs> I personally see, I see it as like another like universe. That's what it is in the Marvel universe, and mm-hmm. this is a universe where things can be drastically different than they were before. And sure. 
you know, clearly I am the one here that has the least amount of attachment to these comics, as I have not read very many of them. But, um, you know, it's... Nick, you said that some of the Marvel movies, they're, they're going for the more entertaining path, which I think is true in a lot of ways than, than some of the some of the DC movies. But I also, that doesn't mean that I didn't feel uh, very deep and heartfelt things about Iron Man 3. Like that movie, like the way that Tim summed up Iron Man 3 in his in his top 10 movies post was fantastic. And I guarantee it's a way that not a lot of people have thought about that movie. Like that's that's something that some people haven't even read into. And so I think, you know, Throw the Dark World, something different, and I'd have to think about it more. But I think there's still a lot of potential in these movies to sure. do something that is, you know serious and and that the, the has some weight to it and has gravity but i i'm thinking cap is going to be a huge test of that just based on the on the the vibe of the trailers and stuff that we've yeah. seen and kind of how people have been talking about it as this kind of 70s-esque political thriller if it if it takes a very sh- i mean humor's okay i think there will be humor in it because humor that's kind of that's it sh- there needs to be some levity yeah. but we'll see just how much i think that's a huge test of really moving forward what yeah. we should expect guardians is way different because there should be a lot of humor in guardians just i don't know and it's in outer space literally yeah. so, so. All I, right. I see what you're saying and I, I think i'm not saying obviously it's really early and i think that the reason we can kind of talk about it with a little bit of authority is because we're pretty well informed yeah and we're good enough we're good enough at staying like relatively objective and saying uh, we haven't seen a picture you know we have no we don't know this is purely early, early, early talk, but um, and I'm not saying the movie won't be good, and I'm not saying it won't have some weight to it. I'm sure it's very possible that we'll have a, an intense, dramatic arc for Paul Rudd's characters. He's going to start off as a bit of a rogue, probably, and then come around and be a hero. Um, but it's not to say it'll be bad, but I think that the potential for something better might have always existed, and that's why it kind of bums me out. Like, knowing some of the source material, like, yes, Iron Man 3 had, had some punch to it, and Thor, Thor didn't really didn't for me, but um, to think of what also what might have been is always kind of a valid argument. Yeah. And Opportunity cost, completely, mm-hmm. but I don't Scott, know. Scott Lang just kind of follows the, the somewhat established now Marvel archetype of cocky, kind of arrogant, fast-talking guy who starts off like a dick and redeems himself and becomes good. And that's going to happen again in Guardians of the Galaxy. So by the time Ant-Man rolls around, I'm going to be like a little fatigued of that of that archetype. Mm. So that was the opportunity, I think, with Pym that's also kind of missed. Is he's a pretty different guy from the rest of them. All right. Our full review of American Hustle, directed by David O. Russell, starring <laughs> Christian Bale, Amy Hustle Adams, Russell. Bradley Cooper, Jennifer Lawrence, uh, Louis C.K., a bunch <laughs> of great people. Um, our synopsis is... Um, Sorry. Uh, our synopsis from IMDb says, A con man, Irving Rosenfeld, along with his seductive British partner, Sidney Prosser, is forced to work for a wild FBI agent, Richie DeMasso. DeMasso pushes them into a world of Jersey power brokers and mafia. Mafia. So, um... A lot of people know my feelings on <laughs> David O. Russell. <laughs> if, you, if you don't. And, uh, then he doesn't like him. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a huge fan of David O. Russell. I kind of liked the fighter. I really liked Silver Silver Linings Playbook, so that kind of catches you up. I I've liked his movies. 
I liked I Heart Huckabee's back in the day, but I, that was that was a long time ago, and it deserves another watch. But um, he's one of those rare people for you where you, it breaks the fourth wall a little bit with you. Like, you, like regardless of his achievements as a director, as a person, you just don't like him. So yeah, like I I, I remember walking out of this movie talking to Nick about it, and Nick's like, "You just really want to rob David or Russell of any sort of achievement in this movie, <laughs> don't you?" And I was like, "Yeah, I suppose I kind of do. I kind of do. I can't help it." I think that's basically exactly how I stated my feelings <laughs> on Silver Linings Playbook. If you go back on our podcast. Remember, I actually saw that, but um, okay. So uh, basically, the movie is a somewhat influenced by true events of the ab scam in the seventies and eighties. Uh, I don't know what else, what else should be said beforehand here. Um, I, I it's Christian a, it, Bale's fat again. Yeah, <laughs> Christian, Christian Bale got fat, legit fat. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's this cool kind of weird amalgam of David O. Russell, like, stars from his previous that, two that's movies. That's the coolest thing. It's really interesting. It's like an Avengers of David O. Russell movies. <laughs> <laughs> They've been building to this. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> all right, so... Russellverse. Uh, Willie, how, how, what did you feel about American Hustle? Um, I enjoyed American Hustle. I thought it was, uh... It was kind of cool to see a movie that... Kind of feels like an old school, old old school Scorsese movie to me. Like I haven't seen Wolf of Wall Street, so I I, I don't know how that is. But um, a lot of this, people comparing this to to Goodfellas. It, it had that vibe, and I kind of liked that. It wasn't as grim or as dark or as nasty and dirty as 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 Goodfellas, but the characters are equally as as disgusting, maybe more so. But yeah. in a good way. I mean, I, I don't know. You these are those characters where you you kind of love to hate them, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and. Uh, Christian Bale is is awesome. Uh, I, I it took me a little while to kind of get into his character. Like so at first, I'm just like, <laughs> like, like <laughs> look at this guy. <laughs> like it just, he was just super nasty. But I think that's on purpose. I think that it yeah you need to kind of uh, kind of under, come to understand why his character is so um, charismatic. Yeah. Because on the surface, he is not charismatic. No. He is a disgusting looking dude. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, Bradley Cooper is hilarious. Uh, this is probably the funniest Bradley Cooper I've ever seen. In my, I, I honestly think it might be Did my you favorite. See Silver Linings or no? I've seen most of Silver Linings, okay. which I know is weird, but <laughs> I've seen most of he Silver had Linings. The funniest line in Silver Linings that made me laugh so hard. Um, anyway, but I, I think from what I saw in Silver Linings, I would just—he was very good in it, and it might be his best performance. But I had the most fun watching him in this movie okay. so far. Um, Renner's hair can't not on, there's a lot of good hair in this movie. <laughs> Renner's hair. New Heights, um, literally. Um, and then the ladies are both fantastic. Uh, Amy Adams and Jennifer Lawrence, super, super awesome. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence is a little grating, and I think it's because I was weirdly, like, <laughs> the whole time I was watching, I was weirdly comparing her to uh, Scarlett Johansson from Don John. Because there's, like, weird similarities between okay. them. Like, they're both really obnoxious sounding and acting, and I don't know why, but I, I couldn't get that out of my head. But she's really good. Um, and Amy Adams is awesome. I think I think, I think think uh, Jennifer Lawrence's character is grading by design. Oh, so, totally. No. Yeah. That, but So it's hard to, like, get into her character because yeah. she's so obnoxious. Amy Adams is, like... Like, I, I've always thought Amy Adams was, was a, a solid actress. I've never, you know... I, I've liked her and everything I've seen her in, but I, I think she... I think, she she's doing one of the like the more interesting female characters I've seen in a while. You know what I mean? She's not mm-hmm. like I don't know. I, I like I like the fact that you get touches of her backstory and stuff like that. And it makes her more. It makes her very alluring and like there's something very mysterious and cool about her character. And I I appreciated that. I like that you didn't have to get some sort of you know 
big, huge backstory on her without, yeah. you know, I don't know. But I enjoyed the movie a lot. I thought it was a fun heist movie. It it moves a little slow for me in spots. Like, it feels, it, the movie feels longer than it is. Oh, yeah. Totally, all which th- is I weird. All three of us, plus everybody else in the world, will agree with that. It's part. very strange, though, because, like, I, I mean, I wasn't, it was not that I wasn't enjoying what I was watching. It just, like, I, I did feel like, I felt like I wanted to check the time. I'm like, is this thing still, like, what's going on here? So I was I never, know. I was never bored with it, but it feels like it's doubly as long as it actually is. It does feel like it's over, like, it's like three hours. It feels like it's like three hours long. Yeah. And what, how long is it? Like That's two hours and two, 15 minutes or something like that? Two ten, two fifteen ish Yeah, it definitely feels longer than that. Yeah. Um... But no, I, I don't know. I really enjoyed it. I wish there was some Kyle Chandler to, to be <laughs> featured. I feel like he would have fit into this universe. Um, yeah. As some sort of... Uh, Aaron got an authority figure. No, absolutely. Yeah. He would have fit that's right true. in. But, uh, you know, I'll take what I can get. You so. Wall Street. Yeah, that's true. I should I should be seeing that. Main draw. Well. Kyle Chandler. I should be seeing that. Chandler hair. All right, Nick. Hair. <laughs> Runner hair is so good. Nick, what did you feel about uh, American Hustle? I am... By David O. Russell. <laughs> Get it. So much muscle. I, uh, I, in, I, I liked it, and that's that's about as far as it went for me. I, like I said on the Wolf of Wall Street episode, it is just, oh man, is it a drag? It's just, it is such a slog through that movie. It's like you're just pulling a fat person on a sled up, <laughs> like it's just really rough. Pulling Christian Bale up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Irving. Uh, Everyone in it is very good. I think Amy Adams is the weak link. She was the one I actually enjoyed the least. I dug her. Um, because I didn't know why she had to be British. I don't know why in the synopsis it says she's British. Yeah. Because she's very clearly American. Spoiler alert. Kind of. Not really. First, yeah. Shot in the movie. Um, well, no, that's not true. But everybody in it's good. It's it's kind of fun to watch at times. Some of the actors have more fun with it than others. I think Bale... Bale was great. He gave it his all. And, and it's he, kind of fun to watch sometimes. Yeah. Nick, well, well, put, it on, put it on the poster. <laughs> DVD box, David. It's kind of fun to watch sometimes. It's kind of fun to watch sometimes. It's true. It's not fun to watch all the time. Uh, some of the time I was like, why is this scene not over? Like, this is bad. This is bad movie making. Um, That's funny because I felt that exact feeling many times in Wolf of Wall Street. But, Interesting. But... Oh, man, that's a whole other thing. Because Wolf of Wall Street, is there's so many short parts, just like chop, 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 chop. Sure. And this whole movie is, maybe those parts in Wolf of Wall Street stand out more because they're they're interspersed with <clears> all <throat> staccato scenes. In this movie, it's just one long, plodding, hippo dance scene after another. It's just <laughs> rough. Um, and some of it is so very well done that it makes it makes it disruptive for me when, it's, when, it, when it loses tempo, which feels freaky. It feels like, uh, I don't know, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just weird. It's like a it's like a really nice dance, and one person really knows what they're doing. The other one, once in a while, kind of forgets their step. And it seems like it feels it happens a lot in this movie. Um, but everybody in it is 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 very good, um, top to bottom. And uh, I think you're watching it largely for the performances, not so much for the for the story, because the movie doesn't really follow a three act structure, and it's it's very loose with what it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And some people pop up in it that are pretty cool and fun. <clears throat> I think there's a really, there's an intense debate to be had about David O. Russell in this one, and we kind of touched on it after we saw the movie. Uh, but on the whole, I'm I'm not sure now after having some time to think about it and seeing a few other movies I wanted to cross off my list if it'll even breach my top ten this year. Okay, it's hard to say, but it it and it, it's it's a weird movie because I can't say why. Like it's it's probably pretty worthy of a top ten list because I had fun watching it and it felt unique. Uh, I guess as unique as movies about criminals and scams have been because there's been a lot of those lately but 
Um, anyway, I guess that's it for the broad strokes. Okay. It just didn't like the sit stretch. with you. Well, you didn't. Nothing hit you. Yeah. I just I, usually I walk out of a movie with a pretty strong either that sucked or like I really liked that, mm-hmm. and and here's why. I usually have one or two reasons, but we walked out of that one. I probably just had this look on my face like I bit into a bad apple. Like I just was kind of like, mm, mm. <laughs> I just wasn't really, and I couldn't say why. I wasn't really satisfied. But part of it I think is because I wanted to check my watch constantly because I was like, how I had no. No sense of the movie progressing at all. It was just like a scene, here's a scene, here's a scene, mm-hmm. here's a scene, here's a scene. It didn't really pick up for me until the third act. And uh, But I don't know much more else to say without talking about that article and, okay. sp- and spoilers. Yeah. So. Um, I loved this movie very, very much. It, was, it pained me to acknowledge that because of how much I hate David O. Russell. But um, I enjoyed this movie quite a You've bit. You've done it, David. I find the subject entirely fascinating. It's very much like Argo to me in the sense of, you know, the broad strokes of the story of the cops utilizing a con man in order to catch public corruption. It sounds insane, but it's awesome and it worked in real life. Maybe not, it's certainly not to the T. It's not exactly how this movie portrays it. And at least they say that at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, and like the first line is just some of these things are true. But... I find that completely fascinating. So that alone would get me to see this movie in the sense that I, f- I find myself interested in that premise. I think it's cool to see how it kind of works out. I like the kind of back and forth between Richie and Irv about how, you know, Richie's being really gung-ho and Irv's just like, this is, you're being dumb because we're going to get found out. Like, I, I enjoy that back and forth, and that kind of brings me to... I loved seeing all of these characters interact with each other. It's something, it's it's one of the same things that, that's... I could watch any Firefly episode, just watching those characters talk. I could watch them talk at each other for hours, mm-hmm. because I love those characters. And this is the same way that I feel about this movie. Mm. So, in that sense, I think... Um, I think it's very interesting. Like, I, it, it dawned on me in my second viewing of this movie. That's right. I thought the movie felt four hours long, and I went and saw it again anyway. Did I, it feel four hours long the second time? Yes. <laughs> I, I, Eight hours of movie. <laughs> I got, like, I was halfway through the second viewing, and I was like, this is why I hated Pain and Gain. Because I didn't care about any of those characters. And it very much brought up an interesting point after the fact. But I, I, all of the people in this movie, to me, are endearing in one way or another. With maybe the exception of, like, of um, Bradley Cooper's character. Bradley Cooper doesn't have a lot of saving grace. But... Besides his amazing perm. <laughs> wow. But, uh, you know, between Irv and Sid and even even Irv's wife, you know, she's somewhat, she's pretty despicable, but you still kind of care about her a little bit, mm-hmm. at least in the beginning, in That's my true. opinion. I actually care about those people, whereas something like Pain and Gain, like, those guys were complete idiots, and I don't understand how they got as far as they did, let alone, you know, it's... You like it, if, you, if you're going to be a criminal, at least be a smart criminal. Yeah, and, and that's that's what Nick brought up. Nick was very much like, I think you have the ability to respect the people in American Hustle, because mm-hmm. at least they're intelligent. And that's that's probably very true. Because yeah. the same in, in The Wolf of Wall Street, you know, I, I didn't love Jordan, Jordan Belfort, but I could respect him because he was an intelligent man, and he could get things done. So... 
I really, I don't know how I walked out of this movie feeling like I could just watch these people talk with each other and interact for hours, but the, the performances are just so good that, that I feel like that's very true for me. Um, I don't know. Let's see what else. I think it's rare when a director can re recycle cast members and yet they always feel like they feel very different that part. Yeah. Because Wes Anderson does it a lot and he's deviated from it somewhat, but for a while there for like three, three movies in a row, he had the same yeah. cast might like give or take one or two playing even almost similar roles. And yet they always felt like they were perfect for that part. And it could be because he, it was an original script and he was like, I'm going to write this part for this actor and, mm. and play to their sensibilities. But yeah. It was very cool to take two leads from two different acclaimed movies and put them in one. I mean, it's a it's a hell of a feat. Yeah, and uh, I think it's it's brought up pretty pretty well in that article. Okay, again, but <laughs> um, <clears throat> I like the soundtrack a lot. I thought that was great. Um, yeah, it gets it's, it fits the yeah time certainly period and... certainly fits the time and and the times that it's brought in. I think it's very it's interesting. You know that there are a few scenes of them. People singing along. Like I kind of like that too. It was awesome. Yeah. Like the the scene, the scene. The, okay, the bromance between Carmine and and Irv is so beautiful. It's, it's one of the best things ever. It's it's amazing. It's probably the best part of the movie. Honestly, <laughs> it's so so good, and and just everything that has to like their their kind of journey together that they end up going through in this movie. It's it's a beautiful beautiful thing. But we can get into that more in spoilers. Um, <laughs> Them partying is the best. Oh yeah, like that, and that's that's what made me think of it. They're yeah. singing along to that uh, Tom Jones song. It's so funny. You're like, it's a beautiful thing. It's a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad thing. Yeah, but it's it's kind of beautiful to watch, though. You know, because you know, you kind of have an idea of who's in it for what, and 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 yeah, and and you, it's 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 kind of this tragic and beautiful thing to watch the how it changes and how it unfolds towards the end. I yeah, think. like the, the the just the whole journey. The whole journey is very very beautiful. Like clearly, it's it's you know a mayor dealing with a shady person to get money to do something, which is not so good. Mm-hmm. But like I said, the journey that they go through, what Irv ends up feeling, and, and just where that ends up going, I think it's very very interesting. Um, and not to mention that. Uh, Carmine's a very sympathetic character, even if he's dealing with bad people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, because so. he's doing it for the right reasons, you know, he's or what he believes to be right. So. Yeah. Um, I don't know anything else non-spoilery. I oh, <laughs> I have notes and I haven't looked at them at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought the way that they kind of took liberties with the story and then even kind of dealt with some of them so that they they that it still almost fits back into real life, I think is very interesting. And I can say something more about that in spoilers to not give a few things away. Yeah. And I've run up a little bit on the actual, what actually went down. And, and I, I think the liberty, I mean, there, there are quite a few liberties taken, but I, I think it's a little different when you're doing a, a historical, like, like a period piece like this, because it's been long enough to where if somebody wants to look at all the research on it and, and know what really happened, they totally can. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it hurts. Like, I don't think, telling a fictionalized version of this story is going to hurt anybody's view on anything that's important right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think it's, you have to be care- more careful with that when it's something that's a little more fresh, mm-hmm. you know? So, I don't know. That's just my... And I have to say, this movie may include one of my favorite lines of of the year, which was, um, she was the Picasso of passive-aggressive karate. <laughs> yeah. I just thought that line was so beautiful. I was like, that's that's amazing right there. It's pretty good. So... Uh, I don't know. Anything else, guys? 
Um, somebody somebody warned me about uh, Amy Adams' uh, wardrobe in this movie and how it was going to break my heart in every scene she was in. <laughs> she looks so good. I'm just going to throw it out there. Like she's a she's a great actress. I will agree she looks with really Nick. Good. I don't understand the English thing at all, and I I did feel like she was a little bit of a weak link in the movie, but it's I just didn't even care. <laughs> Yeah, you were you were distracted. I was, I, and I'm, like I said, I I don't know, whatever. I don't want like, to get creepy, so <laughs> <sighs> I love you, Amy Adams. Uh, Nick, I love you. Any final thoughts? I love you, Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> I love you. I love you. I love you, girl. I love you, girl. I, I love you, Jeremy Renner. Love Christian Bale's big old belly. <laughs> yeah. No, the, the I, shot of that thing. The <laughs> last the last thing I. I I'm a big Christian Bale fan, and he was one of my absolute favorite actors for for many years running. But he. He kind of started doing movies that I didn't like as much, or I felt like he was kind of becoming... I, I don't know. I just wasn't satisfied with where his career would be going, but this movie kind of really rerouted my interest in him again. I was like, he, yeah. he's really good in this one, and it's... I'm still having to argue with people. I, when I was talking about American Hustle, when people should, saying people should go see it, they're like, oh, that Christian Bale is such an asshole, though. He's such a... He was so mean to that, to that man, and I had to like continue <laughs> talking about this. But the same way, I still have to argue with people about whether or not Heath Ledger killed himself because of the Dark Knight. There are people who still are championing that theory, and I'm just like, you guys are crazy. We, we gotta talk. <laughs> You're wrong, and here's why. Like, type of thing. But with Christian Bale, I was like, you should you should go... It bums me out when when people don't want to see a movie because of somebody somebody's past transgressions, unless it's something like some crazy... You know, big, like, I get I kind of get when people are like, I don't want to see him, I'll give him some movie. I'm like, that's fair. That's yeah. fair. Yeah. I yeah. still love Mel. I love his movies. But you can understand why people don't. I don't yeah, I don't want yeah. to hang out with him, I don't want to hang out with Tom Cruise, but they're movie stars and they're good at what they do. Yeah. I think there's, there's actors you don't like because of their acting, that's one thing. Sure, you know, that's fair. I think you need to give somebody... I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah, like I'm not going to go watch a Nick Cage movie just because, you know, because I don't like his acting. So I mean, if anything, I should love Nick Cage based on his personal life because he only he owned like castles and stuff. <laughs> he had to sell them all because he's poor. But Superman number one. Yeah, exactly. That's amazing. <laughs> if we're going to go by personal lives, then he should be my favorite actor because he lived like Peter Pan. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, all right, uh, we're going to go into spoiler Terry. So uh, we're going to take a quick break and we shall be right back. back with spoiler terry for american hustle we're also going to be kind of talking about the endings to uh silver linings playbook and the fighter as well so if you don't want to hear anything about those you should go away right now including american hustle but um so i saw that a friend had written an article he posted it on facebook uh his name is andrew lapin and uh, he wrote this article that ended up on the dissolve.com, which is a fairly, it's an up-and-coming film website uh, with with contributors who have been on the Slash Filmcast before, and that's kind of how I had heard of it at first. But uh, his article is called The Fake Reinvention of American Hustle, and I'm going to link to it in our show notes on MidwestFilmNerds.com. But uh, I'll kind of start off here with this first paragraph and just say, At a Washington, D.C. pre-release screening of American Hustle in December, writer-director David O. Russell told the crowd that he considers this movie to be the final leg of his thematic trilogy of reinvention after 2010's The Fighter and 2012's Silver Lining Playbook. Uh, 
Um, so that's kind of the thesis of this. Is that these three movies have been about their reinvention of the characters in them. The, the fighter kind of being about uh, Mickey Ward. That's right. Isn't it? Mm-hmm. Isn't Mickey? Mickey was, uh, yeah. So Mickey Ward's kind of reinvention after, you know, being drug addicted and whatnot and kind of ending up being actually helpful to his brother mm-hmm. as somewhat of a trainer and mentor figure. Dickie was the... Dickie. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Dickie so Dickie. Yes. Dickie. Dickie's the one who was drug addicted and ends up the the kind of trainer. But uh, and then Silver Linings Playbook is about Bradley Cooper's character, somewhat you know, uh, dealing with with mental issues in his life and and trying to uh, come to terms with that and and figure out how to uh, deal with other things that have happened in his life. And it's sort of his reinvention coming out of this mental hospital and and you know becoming a person that. You know, a functional person. <laughs> yeah, becoming a functional person again. And so uh, Andrew's kind of main point here is is that American Hustle is kind of a fake reinvention in the sense that you've got these characters, Irv and Sid, who are con people, and in the end they are still con people, and they don't necessarily seem to have learned much from it other than, you know, they got away with it this one time, and then they get to go off and be happy and be successful with the fact that they now have a legitimate art gallery. Mm-hmm. So, um, what did you guys think about this piece? Like, I, what? How, how did? What did? Do you agree with with Andrew's assessment? And and I should say another interesting parallel is that David O. Russell has also gone through his own kind of reinvention after being being branded somewhat of an asshole and difficult to deal with during Three Kings and I Heart Huckabees. He spent, I think it was six years or something something like that, not making any movies. Uh, one of which is because he couldn't get the funding for it, but um, but then he come he came out with the fighter and it was a very big renaissance for David O. Russell. So, oh, Willie, how did you feel about this piece and, and was there anything that struck you? Um, I, I, I mean, I I think it was probably a bad call to even build this as a trilogy. You know, I, I, not that it is a tri- you know what I mean, but even thematically, yeah. I mean, because I don't I don't necessarily think that it hits the same that same sort of like reinvention as, as the other two movies. So I totally agree with that. Um, but I, I think there is a certain level maybe of reinvention with, with the characters in this movie, not yeah. certainly as much as, uh, silver linings, especially, but, um, there's a little bit of that. Um, and just purely because, uh, I think that it's not about how they wound up necessarily, like that they wound up happy and whatnot. Like that, I mean, I don't think that they were, I don't think that they were that much different than at the end, but I think that the big reinvention comes with with Bale's character and how he handles um, his relationship with Jeremy Renner's character. I think that's where the reinvention comes in, and I think that um, it comes down to you know Bale's character says I keep forgetting his name, so I'm just going to call him Bale's character. Irving. Irving. Thank you, Irv. Uh, at the beginning, basically says like these people deserve this. You know, they had it coming to them. Yeah. Who am I to? not capitalize off that. He's, I mean, he's very much a selfish human being. And, and really, even his relationship with um, with Amy Adams' character is, is very selfish, too. I mean, he he is in love with her, genuinely. Yeah. But I think that there is a certain element of him using her throughout the course of the movie. Her, yeah, he sees her as a, as a, as a tool. In his... there's, a, there's a time period where he forgets that he loves her and he cares more about utilizing her to, to make money. Yeah. <laughs> um, and... I think that the 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 Christian Bale at the 
beginning of the film would never have even considered going back to Jeremy Renner and, and warning him of what's coming or, or telling the truth. Never would have considered that. I hadn't so thought there, of it that way. And, and I think another thing, too, is you have to remember when there's, there's a certain – with con artists and people that are habitual liars and people that – it's not just about making money. There's there's a certain element of that where you start to believe your own lies, I think. And there's a certain element where I think some people just – they get off on that. They, they, yeah. they get a rush from – just like a, like a kleptomaniac gets a rush from stealing. You know, These people get a rise out of pulling off these cons. That's yeah. part of the, the excitement. Um, I mean they could have opened a legitimate art gallery from the get-go, clearly. They were in a, just as good a position before, so if not better, really. I mean, financially, they could have done it from the get-go. Why didn't they do it? Yeah. Because there's a certain level of it's fun to it's fun to con people for them, and I think that just them starting a normal life is a reinvention of themselves. Maybe a forced reinvention, certainly, but yeah. it, it is. But it is. Um, so maybe I, I, maybe we don't get to see the real reinvention of them in this. In the scope no, of this we film. maybe get a snapshot, but it's not. You know, it's not. It doesn't. They don't quite hit it it's home. It's just a monologue at the end. Yeah. So no, I, I don't I don't disagree with the article, and I think it was very well, very very cool read. Um, and yeah. I, I I enjoyed reading it, but um, I, I don't think that it's completely without that element, that reinvention element. To Interesting. It. I think it was. I think it's very cool that he compared, or did he compare the reinvention of David Russell in the article? Did he? Yeah, he, he, he yeah. talks yeah, about that it. That was very cool, and I think that everything he said is totally reasonable and, and relevant to the movie and 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 the fact that o russell kind of deemed this his trilogy that's interesting yeah yeah all right nick how'd you feel about the article and and you said that kind of your thoughts on the movie are definitely echoed in in what was said um <clears throat> i i liked it i think he 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 really pointed out a lot of things that i felt about the movie um Namely, that the bad people in the movie get away with pretty much a slap on the wrist. Yeah. And there's obviously shades of gray as to what's good and bad in this movie, but I think the... Uh, I think it, it's an interesting article because it's it's half criticism of the movie and half criticism of David O. Russell. So it's hard to decide which one I really want to talk about, but I guess for the sake of the podcast, the movie... Um, you can criticize David O. Russell. Later. <laughs> uh, what are your favorite leave things that to, do? to me? <laughs> well, the man best suited for the job. There's ten audio boos of that already. I'm <laughs> so stupid. Uh, <laughs> just, just gibberish. Don't like his face. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think David O. Russell. He's he's clever. I guess I have to talk about him in in, in yeah, the no, article that's... that. He's he's a clever guy because I think he he knew he was an idiot and he knew people thought he was difficult to work with and he and he pretty much shot himself in the foot and, and and annihilated any chances of being successful in Hollywood and then when he struck it big with the fighter I think he realized if I make movies like this people will like them and I will get awards and money and people will like me and it's almost like what Armand White was saying about Steve McQueen that the reason he's been conditioned to make movies that will win awards and that's why he's making them and. I think that that argument is is relatively well founded in, in David O. Russell's case, and I'm not saying they're bad. Well, the fighter I don't, I don't like. I think that's a bad movie. But <laughs> Silver Linings I did really enjoy, and this movie I enjoyed as well, um, American Hustle. But I think it's kind of in that in that vein now where he's it's the redemption of David O. Russell as well. Yeah. Now he's he's cracked the formula of how to really make it in Hollywood, 
And, it'd be uh, funny if he just keeps making redemption movies. Well, we'll <laughs> That's see. all it is. It'll be interesting to see what the next one is. But uh, <laughs> it was always a quadrilogy from the start. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, a septisquilogy. Yeah, there's a 17th entry in his redemption series. Um, but I, I think the, the article is really interesting for for pointing that out. That he's it's kind of uh, whether or not it's 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 on it's. God, why are my words just totally <laughs> failing me right now? Um, whether or not it's an honest redemption on David o. Russell's part or not is is an interesting idea because it's a movie about a con and and tying that into David o. Russell's temperament and mentality now is interesting. Mm-hmm. But as far as the movie goes, I don't think it's a movie about redemption whatsoever or reinvention. I'm sorry, I've been using yeah, the wrong word. Um, because no one really reinvents themselves like they. The only way that Sydney and Irving end up in a happy place is because they do what they're best at, and they con somebody, well, everybody. And it's <clears throat> it's not it's not a, a reinvention in that case. You've just pulled off one final con and decided it's finally time to walk away. And that, you know, there's no reinvention of any of the characters taking place here. Jennifer Lawrence is the same character at the end of the movie, just a, a, maybe a little bit smarter, but not really. And Irv and Sydney are, are very much the same people. They just kind of rediscovered their their love for each other, I guess, and they and they basically got out from under the thumb of the worst pickle they were ever going to be in. Um, and I like that he points out the one character who shouldn't have been sent away looking like an asshole is Bradley Cooper's character. Is his character an asshole? Yeah, kind of. Is he doing things for his own kind of personal, not even for personal glory, just the rush of it? He gets caught up in the in the glitz of of partaking in this, this gigantic kind of sting. This thing that keeps growing. I think part of it too is he wants to be his own man, but that character, cause you can kind of get that vibe. Like he's like, he's sick of like pushing around papers. Like he mentions that to his mom. Yeah. And like, it seems like he's in some sort of arranged, he definitely like has something to prove, Yeah, but he's yeah. at the end of the day, he's still the one who's on the right side of the law and he's doing it for the right reason. Maybe it's debatable, I guess when you're watching the movie, but it, it, he's the one, as the article points out, uh, He's the one who's sent away with his tail between his legs, looking mm-hmm. like a like a dumbass dog. He whacked on the nose of the newspaper, and it's not really, it's not satisfying to watch people who are really bad like that kind of get away with it all. And the people who were kind of on the right side, including like Lewis, it's kind of cool to see Bradley Cooper get a little bit of his comeuppance for kind of pushing everybody around and, and not obeying the the rules and kind of going around people's back. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, when the movie, I was like, that's where it ends for his character. That's kind of a drag because his character is one of the most fun to watch because he was so crazy and like so wild about the idea of catching the scene when he sits on the, the couch, extravagant way. The scene when he sits on the couch during the party, and and it's, that, is, that was yeah. my favorite moment of the movie. It's so good. And I think this is why I was dissatisfied with the movie. I guess is the, the TLDR is that nobody, there's no, there's no consequences really. The only person who has any consequences is Jeremy Renner's character. And it's only because it gets reduced, even so, because Christian Bale's willing to go out of his way to to con people and include Jeremy Renner in the con. So he kind of atones a little bit for that. But at the same time, if you're a con man, even if you feel a little tiny sliver of guilt over something that happened, you're, you've made a career and a living out of not caring about how your actions affect other people. So he's going to get over it pretty quickly. It's never going to... I don't think it really bothers him that much, or, or will, when he's well, just he, living his life. He says in the movie... <laughs> That still haunts me to this day. Yeah, but, but whatever. It's a voiceover <laughs> only, movie. Even even Renner's uh, even Renner's character got like eighteen months in, in I wanna, jail. Yeah, like, for I sure. want to say I find it really interesting that you 
don't like this movie's lack of consequences, but you're okay with the Wolf of Wall Street's lack and life's lack of consequences for Jordan Belfort. No, because I think he did. He did Wolf of Wall Street. He does. There are consequences to his actions. He goes to jail, but he comes out the same person. Guys, I haven't seen that movie. Well, yet. whether he chose to change, I'm not. I'm not claiming that Wolf of Wall Street is a movie about reinvention, though. Okay. But there are consequences to his actions. Okay. And them, I don't know how people are upset that that movie doesn't focus on the people that were robbed but of even money. So, well i was but american upset. hustle <laughs> how many people did they steal money from like really desperate truly desperate oh. people whether the people in wolf of wall street were desperate or not we, is is a little ambiguous some of them probably are but some of them might just be dumb guys who are like hey i have five grand why not yeah and in this movie they prey on weak people they prey on sad, desperate people, and this movie glosses over it even more and makes it look fantastic and fun and wraps it in nostalgic '70s pop tunes. Disco. While Christian Bale is pointing well, money at Amy like, Adams. I, 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 I don't know whether or not that makes it a bad, a worse movie or a better movie is debatable. But I think it's interesting that some people might say, might criticize one or the other and then love the other one. I like the scene where he plays the bongos on her butt. Well, I, I should. <laughs> I should say I responded to to Andrew's article on his Facebook. I said, this is a fantastic article, but I think you make one assumption here. The idea that the reinvention of oneself means that they come out the other side as a better person. I don't necessarily think that is true. While, yes, it still leaves American Hustle as the odd one out compared to Silver Linings and The Fighter, there are a few times throughout the movie where both Irv and Sid talk about reinventing themselves in order to get somewhere in life or to stay alive. Sid goes from being a dancer at a strip club or a burlesque house to working at Cosmo and ultimately brings her into his swindling. And that represents at least one reinvention throughout the movie. I think there's a lot more to it there. I, I feel I feel as though that he left some of it on the table, but I I still absolutely I love the article and I think it I think it raises a lot of very, very interesting points. There were a few things he said that I think were a little extreme. I don't, I didn't, I'm just kind of, I quickly read it the first time and I'm quickly skimming through it again. I think there's a lot of cool stuff in his article though. I think, I think there's, I, I really think it could swing either way. I think that's what makes it an interesting article. It's like, yeah, yeah. you could go into this reading it and being like absolutely loving American Hustle and be like, this guy's a jerk. And then they still get something out of like the, the article and you could go into it being like, this movie's terrible, and get something out of it that might make you go, you know what? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. You could... I, I don't know. I, th- it, I enjoyed it. So, um, Good on you, Andrew. Yes, yes. Maybe we can have him on at some point, too. Maybe. He might, he might be interested in doing that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I felt like Nick said so much that I wanted to comment on, and now I don't remember any of it. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. It happens. Um, yeah. Can we talk real quick about uh, De Niro, random De Niro appearance? Yeah, that was awesome. And and, and was he a was cool cameo. It was cool because it was it felt like De Niro actually like wanting to be there. Which is oh, good. and that that, that kind of talks that that kind of speaks to my point. I like what I what I spoke about earlier about um, some of the roles kind of being cast away as part of the story. Like the idea that Richie Dema- you won't find Richie Damaso anywhere because he messed up royally in this case, and the fact that. Uh, the mob doesn't retaliate against Irv and they just walk away because Irv tips them off. I thought that was very, very interesting. That was kind of a cool way to like almost make the story still fit back into history, even though there's a lot of discrepancies mm-hmm. that, that don't. Um, but I, I just, I found that very cool. I found that and like when, 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 when Richie walks away with nothing in the end, I was just kind of like, I think that's a very cool choice to make. Um, Let's see what else. 
I don't know. I I don't know. I really love his. Uh, what's your Andrew? Andrew. I love Andrew's line about at the screening where there were where there were politicians attending and and such. And he says the funniest part of the screening was during the Q and A when MSNBC's Chris Matthews thanked Russell for including a sympathetic politician in his movie. Never mind that both the character and his real life counterpart took bribes. Yeah, <laughs> like that's that's pretty funny. Yeah. And and true. Yeah. And I think he he raises a he, he raises a really good point paralleling this with our with our modern you know political system. Yeah. And yeah. how the their their idea of reinvention. Uh, oh, I can't find the the quote. <laughs> Do bad things, get caught, make an act of cooperation and remorse, and before too long, reach your happy ending with nary a scratch. He says that's exactly. Since that's exactly the trajectory of followed by the heroes of American Hustle, it makes sense that they would know best when they say every con needs to be sold from the feet up. It's it's an interesting article. Yeah, it cool. is. And absolutely go check it out. We'll have a link to it in the show notes. Totes. Um, Totes notes. Yeah, I feel like I could listen back to Nick's stuff and have a little bit more to talk about. But at the moment, I don't really know. Yeah. No, I think, I don't know. I had some people ask me about this when I got out of the theater. Um... I stopped by to visit the fiance at work, and everybody at the store was like, "Hey, what'd you think of it?" Would you know? And yeah. I was like, "Yeah, rental." That's the, honestly that's that's how I, like it's totally a solid rental to like uh, on a Friday or Saturday night to get down with. But fair enough. I feel like if I rented this movie because I know myself, I probably wouldn't pay enough attention to it. <laughs> get on your phone. This is one of yeah. it's one of those movies where I would have to see it. In, I had to see it in theater in order to actually appreciate it. Otherwise, it would have been second screening it. For mm. the most part, but I think it's an interesting companion piece to Pain and Gain and The Wolf of Wall Street. They yeah. all are kind of circling the same the idea. The American Dream movies. I want to. I want to write a little bit more about that. I don't know if I'll actually end up doing it or not. But I, I, I was thinking of maybe reviewing Pain and Gain, reviewing Pain and Gain, huh. uh, just to kind of look at it through the lens of how I feel about these two movies and see compare and contrast and wonder exactly why this is the year where we get these movies where despicable people doing despicable things are kind of becoming why did this happen this year and and what movies in the past have kind of done that as well so yeah should watch less than zero yeah <laughs> it's got rdj and uh James I, ha- Spader. I have seen less than zero and yeah that and is... jamie gertz and andrew mccarthy that's a very American Dream gone horribly wrong. <laughs> yeah, movie. I think these these three movies all just also deal largely with not just American Dream gone wrong, but just crime and punishment and yeah. and and pain and gain to a lesser extent than the other two because they're on a bigger bigger scale mm-hmm. and they're more about cons than money. Or yeah. than, I'm sorry, than murder. But um, I think it's just one of those things now that's so just ground into our brains on the news every day is that some politician got caught in some scandal and some you know it, it's just something we're always hearing about yeah and so i think now people kind of see movies it's like uh my friend had a really funny comment about uh cop shows because i told him you should watch luther because i thought he would like it and i said i don't know what it is but british and this is going to make me sound like the biggest snob in the universe <laughs> but i have good reason for for it um British cop shows are just so much more engaging than American ones, I think. And I don't think it's just... Not only is it a production value thing, because so many American shows are just all the same, like, just boring. 
the way they're shot, the way they're written, the dialogue is so wooden. Archetypal characters. Very and, much. And the British ones tend to break that mold a little bit. Like, Luther is, is a pretty interesting show. They're pretty funny, uh, cool main character, but... Uh, I, you I should s- watch Life on Mars. I said I don't know why the American ones are so boring, and my friend just goes, it's because semen is the answer to everything. They go, oh, there's, there's a semen, we found him, he's caught. And I just started laughing, I was like, that's probably relatively true. He's like, there's tons of sex crimes in American TV, and in England it's more like it's more like murders and, and things like that. And I said, it, it seems to speak a lot to the, the cultural things, like what we're, what we're afraid of happening, like what's, what's on our minds. Because I'm like, in the BBC cop shows, someone gets shot to death, and that's what they're actually trying to solve, like an actual crime. But in like, it seems like a lot of CSI, they're like, oh, she was raped. Where's the semen? Find the semen is the, is the episode. Well, it doesn't hurt that that was like, isn't that the main thrust? <laughs> Forgive my pun. Do it. Isn't that the main thrust of Special Victims Unit? Yeah, yeah. that is the main. So, yeah. Well, that's one that's a show. Whole, that's a whole show that's sure, dedicated sure, sure. to it. But it was but, an interesting point, and, and yeah. whether he's he's a he's probably not completely right. I mean, I'm sure he's not. They're not all about that. But I think it's funny how a, a culture and a society's what the what the movies are will echo kind of what's on the mind. Yeah. And I always see I can't. We talked about that in a previous episode. Go find it somewhere. Yeah, I can't point to any, any specifics, but I know I've seen on Reddit uh, some international folk saying, "Why are America? Why are these the movies that Americans release constantly?" Yeah. Like, and they're pointing out certain examples, and everyone's like, "Well, it's it's the country, I guess." <laughs> all right i think that about wraps up this episode um it's called american hustle we haven't even talked about that like the name it's american hustle why why that title you know what do you mean it's it's just an interesting choice of title to settle on i think they're hustling in america yeah uh, there's more to it than that i'm sure <laughs> i mean a little bit uh, the original title was american bullshit <laughs> when it was on the uh, blacklist Interesting. But, this wasn't an original script by David Russell then. No, it okay. was Eric Eric uh, Eric Warren. What's his name? Eric Singer. Eric, Eric Singer. Warren. Eric oh, Singer and David O. Russell. Uh, David O. Russell kind of touched it up, but I'm this sure. this script was one of the ones that was on the blacklist like two years ago. Interesting. Uh, I the, wonder what the blacklist the... being the most popular unproduced screenplays in Hollywood, as voted by random people. <laughs> I wonder what it was like before David O. Russell got his hands on it and retooled it for his four stars. Yeah. It would have been interesting to read. Yeah. It, you can probably get your hands on it if it was on the blacklist. Probably. So, report back. Write an article, Nick. Mm. Speaking of, you can go check out Tim Long's Top 10 Movies of 2013 <laughs> for Reckless on com. Go do that. Uh, we're going to be recording our Top 10 Movies of 2013 later this week, so take a look for that at some point soon. Hopefully on the Saturday after you're hearing this episode. Um, the rest of our plans, I think we're going to review her, Spike Jones's her next week, and then after that maybe Jack Ryan, uh, Shadow Recruit, directed by Kenneth Branagh. But um, yeah, we're doing her next week then. Yeah. At MFN Podcast on Twitter. Thanks to Aunt Mister John for our music and artwork. Uh, as I said, full show notes usually on. MidwestFilmNerds.com uh, Check us out on Stitcher Radio we, we are now on Stitcher You can just stream us instead of downloading us And having to sync your, your Podcasts and all that whatnot. All the thing the kids were doing back in the day You can just stream it now you youngins So <laughs> go, go do that with the free app In both the Android and iTunes app stores Y'all heard Alex? Yep uh, So anyway I don't know that's about it Alex why go watch a movie <laughs>